Take your copy of God's Word this evening and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. It's great to see you here. I want to uh, bring to you a message tonight. The violent capture of a rebel. Not a rebel. I just noticed that. Somebody this morning asked me if tonight's message revolved around the Ole Miss debacle in the Peach Bowl last week. And I have mentioned this week that, you know, we played TCU, Texas Christian University. But may I suggest to you there was nothing Christian about that university? (laughs) They showed no mercy whatsoever. And it really wasn't a capture. It was more of a destruction that they laid on the Ole Miss Rebels. So, no, I'm not preaching about the Ole Miss Rebels tonight, nor their debacle in a football game. But I want to share with you this message, which is at the heart, I think, of of the book of Acts. Dr. Luke has recorded for us how the gospel just kept going forth. All these different barriers, all these different obstacles came in front of the church that those new believers And yet, God in his power and in his strength took his good news and he continued to move it across uh, the territory of Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria. And he is taking it to the ends of the earth. And what you see in Acts chapter 9 is the capture of a rebel, of an individual that was fighting literally against God's kingdom that was fighting against the church, what God does is he works in his own way to bring this individual into his forces. Augustine, or Augustine as some of you may call him, was the one that actually penned this phrase. He talked about Acts 9 being the capture, the violent capture of a rebel's will. And I want you to see it. Many of you have read it before, but I always, always... Uh, encourage you and challenge you to look at these passages that you've read before and look at them in a fresh way as God communicates them to you. Look in verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drink. This rebel that is called Saul. Now, we've already met him. Dr. Luke has introduced us to him. 
Do you remember where this man is first introduced to us? What event, what occasion this was? The stoning of Stephen, the church's first martyr. Stephen, who had been faithful, Stephen, the deacon who had been about the mission of God, and yet he had come before the religious leaders, he had seen their anger, he had seen uh, their vindictiveness, and before you knew it, he had also experienced death. And in that moment, in that moment where this vigilante uh, action was taken, Saul was standing there consenting to the death of Stephen. I mean, it says that they're laying the garments of Stephen at Saul's feet. Now, I say to you that when you first read about Saul, at least if you were to take away all the preconceptions and all the things that you've already known about the Apostle Paul, if you were just reading the story and you were introduced to Saul in that way, you would probably say, well, this will be no friend to the church. This will be no friend to the church, and he certainly will not be the greatest missionary outside of the Lord Jesus. There's no way. This is a guy who is persecuting the church. And this is an individual that enters the story as one of the antagonists, one of the enemies of the gospel. It says in chapter 9 that this man that we have seen assenting to the death of Stephen is now going after other believers. He's going after other Christians. And what he does is he comes to the leaders there in Jerusalem and he is very zealous for his faith. Notice here, he sincerely believes in his faith and in his traditions. He has been raised to believe in them and he is, he is devoted. He, he has a great allegiance to the customs that he has. And he wants to be so zealous that he's going to go out and he's going to Damascus, which is over a hundred miles away. He's going to Damascus to find those individuals that would somehow align themselves with the way. And he is to bring them back in bondage. And most likely, they will face some persecution when they return. And notice the scripture said to us that he was going after men and women. It didn't matter who you were. If you decided that you were following this false Christ, this false Messiah, Jesus, then, he was, then Paul was going to make sure, or Saul was going to make sure, that that individual was punished. That's what you see. A likely candidate, right? Later on, he says, uh, as he is speaking about these moments, he says in chapter 26, verse um, 9, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Now, that was Paul's own reflection upon his zeal for his tradition. He had said, I was the one who was imprisoning them. And yes, when it came down to it that we had to decide whether or not they would live or die, I was casting my vote to kill those people who identified themselves with the way. That's not quite the sanitized version of Paul that we find later, is it? I mean, we forget who 
Saul really was. We forget how violent he was and how contrary he was to the gospel and to Christ. But God had a plan. And God had a way of being able to arrest this rebel and enlist him into his service. You know, I think this is a great picture of grace. I I think this is such a great picture of grace and how God works, of being able to take some of the most unlikely of individuals and use them for his kingdom's service. It reminds us that all of us can benefit from the grace of God. No one, listen to me, no one is outside the reach of Christ. I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I've looked at certain folks and certain people and certain family members And I've said to myself, how in the world will they ever come to know Christ? There have been moments where I've looked at them and I've seen their actions and I've seen how contrary they are to the gospel, to Christ. And I've thought there is no way that they will ever come to salvation. Thank God that... Those thoughts are wrong. Thank God that when I read Acts chapter 9, I'm I'm reminded that Saul, while he is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, that God has a plan of bringing him into the family. And God has the power and he has the strength to accomplish that. Well, You know the story. He's journeying toward Damascus. He's on his mission. Verse 4. Or verse 3, it says, Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Verse 4, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just as though it's out of the blue. Nothing that he could have expected Nothing that those around him could have expected. Nothing the church could have expected, right? I love the way God does these things. God in his own timing, in his own way, just simply works. He doesn't always announce it on the morning, at the morning table for breakfast. He doesn't always say, hey, get ready, I'm going to do something great today. He doesn't do that, does he? How many times have we seen God just, boom, intervene in our lives? How many times have we seen life change in just a moment? And here, God confronts Saul. And he apprehends him. Saul, Saul. Well, if you were to hear a voice like that, that identified you by name, it might get your attention. Right? Come on, folks. You were to walk at home tonight. You were to be getting prepared for bed. And you know you're all alone and all of a sudden you hear your name. Let's say you're in the church. You're walking through. You don't think anybody's here. And all of a sudden, 
you know, churches can be a kind of a scary thing sometimes. Did I say that out loud? We might ought to uh, somehow edit that from the audio, especially when all the lights are off and all the things. I, I, I knew this for a fact, and back when I was in Picayune, I always knew that this brother of mine, Brother Stan, he was a deacon and would always turn all the lights off. And he'd have to go back to the breaker box to turn everything off. And so one Sunday night, I decided I'd just have a little fun. So I got behind the plant that was right by our door and hid behind it and waited until he came out. I touched him on the arm as he came out, and I simply said, Stan, I got his attention. I almost lost my life, but I got his attention. There's something about that. Somebody just speaking, hear a voice. You can't see anything. You can't. It is a voice, and the voice calls him by name. So get this. God has not made a mistake here. You know, for some of us, we would have said, now, God, uh, I don't think you really meant to call this guy. Because this guy is not quite the candidate for missionary work that we believe he should be. Uh, now, now, God, we know that you know all things here. But God, now, there are other people in Jerusalem that have a softer heart than old Saul. But just so that everybody knows, he didn't make a mistake. He called Saul by name. Saul. Saul. And he knows Saul. And he knows, he knows his life. He says, why have you persecuted me? I know what you've done. See, this is the picture of grace. Is God knows exactly who Saul is, and yet he still calls him. The picture of grace. And God knows all about us. He knows everything about who we are, and yet he still extends to us an invitation to his family and to his service. How awesome is that? How great is that? That God would know us in all of our sin, and yet he would still love us. And he would call us to be a part of his kingdom. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, and he said, Saul says, who are you, Lord? Now, I don't think... That term Lord there is to be taken at this point of recognizing the deity of Christ. I don't think he actually understood exactly what was going on at this point. That word Lord could be used in a respective way, a respectful way, speaking about sir. Like, now who did you say you are, sir? I like respectful titles. I try to teach my children Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I kind of like that. But can you see this unfolding? A voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think I would use some respectful terms when I am answering. And, and who did you say you are, sir? I'm here, sir. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm Jesus. Jesus 
Saul had been proclaiming that this Jesus was dead. Saul had been proclaiming that this Jesus was the false Messiah, that this Jesus just had a bunch of rabble-rousers who were running around trying to destroy the customs of the Jews. And now he is confronted by the living God, Jesus. It's interesting, again, what Jesus says here. Why do you constantly, why do you go on kicking against the goads? Now, many of you can identify with this kind of idea, this imagery in the New Testament world. And uh, they would take uh, these um, strips of timber, as some people call it, we might call it just they'd take sticks. They'd take sticks, they'd take long sticks, they would make sure that they were pointed at one end, and what they would do is that they would use them to basically motivate the oxen. If they needed the oxen to move, they would simply encourage them a little bit. My grandfather, he... um, owned a dairy for a little while, and he and my grandmother farmed. That was basically all that they did there in North Mississippi, and he worked with the stockyards a little bit with cattle. And and they had something that was very similar to those idea of goads. Uh, they, they had some, it was like an electric stick. You ever see, every now and then he threatened me with that thing when I was running around the yard. But there was an electric stick, and if the the cow would not go on the trailer or things, and he would just kind of touch him just a little bit. And it could motivate. It could motivate that animal to go in the right direction or to move. So here he says, why are you kicking against the goats? Because a lot of times when they would use these, the animal would kick. And the more they kicked, oftentimes the more motivation was necessary. So listen to what Jesus says. Why do you continue to kick against the goads? I've been trying to get your attention, and I believe he had, and I believe in this moment that he had continued to. Maybe it was Jesus' words and ministry itself that had first planted the seed of the gospel in in Paul's life. Perhaps it was his life and his ministry. And God was trying to communicate to Saul about the kingdom. Maybe it was at Stephen's death. I mean, as much as he was assenting to Stephen's death and assenting to what was being accomplished, don't you know that God had somehow brought to remembrance, and perhaps even now God had brought to remembrance the way in which Stephen faced death, the way his face shone with glory, the way in which he prayed for forgiveness for those who were inflicting this pain, the way he was looking longingly at Jesus who was standing, waiting to receive Stephen. Perhaps... Perhaps God had used those moments, those circumstances, those instances to just prod Saul a little bit. 
And yet, every time God would prod him, Saul would kick against those efforts. Maybe even as he saw the tenacity of the people of God, as he went after them and brought them to be imprisoned and to be persecuted, and he saw the tenacity of their faith, perhaps God was using that as something just to prompt Saul and remind him of who Jesus was. And yet he kicked against it. There are those individuals, as we mentioned earlier, that God has worked in their lives. No doubt. And what has happened is they have kicked against those goads. But what Saul found out is that it was useless because God was pursuing him. And God now has captured this rebel will. Notice verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I think here the term is a term of recognition, of divinity, of deity. Now he sees him as the Lord that has been proclaimed. He says, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So here's Saul going to apprehend believers and God apprehends him. C.S. Lewis describes this event as God looking at Saul and simply saying, checkmate. I've made my move, and I am God. And Saul bows to this God. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, the scripture says, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, so he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So here he is coming into the family and the kingdom of of God. Verse 10. Let's go ahead. We've got a few minutes left. Right, Mac? You've got the timer set right up there? Good deal. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. God looks at a man named Ananias because what God is going to do is continue to now use Saul. Now conversion, I love the way someone said this once, conversion is the miracle of the moment. The making of a saint, sanctification, is something that is the making of a lifetime. Conversion's a miracle of the moment, but sanctification is, is the making of a lifetime of what God is doing in a person's life. So now God has saved him. He has come to salvation. He will, he will time and time again come to this moment and say, this is my salvation. Three times it's recorded in the book of Luke. Now think, Luke, our book of Acts. 
Luke could have recorded so many other things. I mean, he could have recorded so many other things, but he gives it to us three times to remind us of the foundation of Paul, who was formerly Saul. And now God is going to use him. So he said, Ananias, I need you to go down. This guy named Saul of Tarsus, he's in town. I need you to go. He knows you're coming. He'll recognize you. Go to this house that you've never been to. Uh, Speak to this man that you've never known. Go down and take my message. Verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Do you kind of get what Ananias says here? God, I heard you. I think I heard you right. But, and I, I know you're all knowing and omniscient. I know you got all that stuff covered, but maybe one thing just kind of slipped past you here, God. You, you may not have read the local Jerusalem Herald, but this guy's in the paper all the time. He's not really a friend of the church. He's an enemy of the church. And we've already heard here in Damascus, he is coming to persecute believers. So, so, so God, I'm all about this, but uh, you're talking about this guy named Saul. Now, before we beat up on Ananias, think about how reluctant we would be. Think about how reluctant we would be. It's almost inconceivable for us because thankfully we do not face intense persecution in our nation today. But it would be hard for us to think that God has instructed us to go and speak to an individual that means physical harm to the people of God. I mean, literally, it would be like going up to, those of you who've been in my study at Esther, it'd be like going up to a Haman, okay? A Haman who hates this people and trying to talk to him about what God has said. Or to a Hitler or to somebody like that. It just seems inconceivable. Now, Ananias, he's ready and look, he's obedient. He just says, God, I just need to make sure here. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The instrument that had brought suffering would now be the instrument who would suffer for the cause of the gospel. He is the chosen vessel to take the good news and the gospel itself to the nations. And then Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
See, he had a little Baptist in him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, instantaneously, in that exact moment, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Then when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. What a significant event. And for us today, for us to think about this, again, it is mind-boggling because outside of Jesus Christ, Paul or Saul becomes the greatest missionary of the church. He'll accomplish so many different, he'll go into so many different areas. And yet, once again, what have we seen? The triumph of the gospel over every barrier. That God can take a violent rebel and he can bring him into his family. And he can use him to accomplish his work among the nations. Now, I've often said, I just believe this, that our salvation does not have to be as dramatic as Paul's. Most of us in this place, our salvation was not that dramatic. There wasn't a light. There wasn't a voice out of heaven necessarily. We did not remain blind for a certain amount of time. Our salvation was not as dramatic but may I suggest to you that our salvation should be just as real. Should be just as real. All of us, again, have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, if you read the New Testament, all of us were enemies of the kingdom. We were hostile toward God. And yet what he did through his grace, is provide for us salvation. And while we did not deserve it, he called us into his family. And we should be gripped by that salvation experience. And it should be real to us, just as real to us as it was for Saul. And when God saves a person, he has a work, a responsibility for that individual. Now, I'm not telling you that all of us will be the Apostle Pauls. Not all of us will be the Apostle Pauls traveling everywhere and going. But may I suggest to you, some of you may be. And some of us who may not be the Apostle Pauls, we still have a work to do. We still have a good a gospel to proclaim. We have the good news that we need to shout from the very top of this church throughout our community and to the nations. We have the gospel that we should take forth because God has called us to be his vessels, to be his instruments 
of making a difference for the kingdom. The violent capture of a rebel. It's a wonderful story. My my friends, it's more than just a story. It is an account of how God truly works and how God truly acts to bring people into his kingdom and to use them for his glory. And for us tonight in this place, one, I think we need to wrestle with this and say, God, is my salvation real? Now, I don't want you to doubt. Never try to encourage people to doubt. All I say to you is, has that salvation, that gospel really gripped your heart and your life? And are you given? Are you given to go and to be and to proclaim that salvation that he has provided? May we hear the challenge from God. And may we be his people. And may we be the grateful individuals who recognize what he has accomplished through his grace in us. Let's pray together. Father, we bless your name tonight. God, we recognize whether it was in a revival service or a vacation Bible school, whether it was on a mission trip, whether, Lord, it was just on a family vacation, whether it was on a night as we bowed by our bed, God, you captured our hearts and our lives. We thank you for that salvation that you have provided. God, I pray that we never get away from what you've done. But Lord, I pray your salvation would grip us, each and every one that's in this place. And God, I pray that you would use us as your vessels, as your instruments to expand your kingdom. Speak to us now. Save those who are lost. Encourage those of us who have been saved. We pray it now in Jesus' name.